1996, Bill Gates said, content is king. And boy was he right. Three decades later, it still occupies the throne. For lawyers, law firms, and companies serving the legal industry, content marketing and thought leadership marketing are must if they want to build their books of business or increase their revenues. Hi, I'm Wayne Pollock. I'm a former AmLaw 50 senior associate who discovered the world of content marketing and thought leadership marketing and hasn't looked back. In each episode of this podcast, I interview lawyers and legal industry in-house marketers who are doing big things with their content marketing and thought leadership marketing. This is Legally Contented. Welcome to episode 70 of Legally Contented. I'm your host, Wayne Pollock. This is a lowdown episode where we review highlights and tease out takeaways from our five most recent interview episodes. The episodes we'll cover in this episode are episode 60 with Aaron Balsa, episode 62 with Shane McCall, episode 64 with Paige Sparks and Samantha Sparks, episode 66 with Megan Braverman, and episode 68 with Steve Fretzen. Remember, the whole point of this podcast, the whole point of Legally Contentum is twofold. One is to spotlight the lawyers, the law firms, and the companies that serve the legal industry that are doing big things with their content marketing and thought leadership marketing efforts. But it's also about educating lawyers and in-house marketers and business development folks at law firms and companies that serve the legal industry about content marketing, about thought leadership marketing, and the best practices that our guests are employing so that these individuals, these attorneys, and these in-house marketing and BD folks can create robust strategic thought leadership marketing and content marketing programs that actually help them build their books of business, increase revenues, and accomplish their marketing and business development goals. We've got five great episodes to recap, so let's get going. Episode 60 featured Erin Balsam. Erin is the founder of House of Bold. She is a content marketer focused on B2B SaaS startups that sell to enterprise companies. SaaS, software as a service. Think about your Microsoft Office 365 subscription. That is software now as a service. She's perhaps best known for helping clients create the kind of research reports that people actually want to read and share. I asked her to join me on this podcast because I'm a big believer of research as a huge thought leadership marketing tool for lawyers, law firms, and other companies that can help them plant their flag in the ground regarding a particular topic, particular area of law, or regarding a particular issue in an industry that the company or the law firm serves. Yet so few firms actually engage in creating original research. I was hoping Aaron would come on and talk to us a little about how law firms can employ best practices to build their own original research programs. And in this episode, that's what we did. We walked through a blueprint for creating original research programs for law firms that build thought leadership and attract and engage clients and referral sources. We discussed, among other things, the process for choosing the subject matter to cover in your research, how to differentiate your research when a competitor or another organization is already publishing similar research, when to bring on outside assistance to help with an aspect of your research program, strategies for writing a research report, including how to craft it in a way that's helpful and not salesy, how to balance substance with brevity when it comes to your research report and your marketing of it, and the many, many ways to publicize a report and slice it and dice it to fuel your thought leadership marketing and business development efforts. In this first clip, Erin and I talked about how 
your research better have a unique angle if it's going to move the thought leadership needle and get interest from your target audience, whether that's clients, referral sources, a mixture of both, or some other group. Let's say you do know we need to put out a report that really speaks to these senior executives. Okay, cool. So what do we talk about? Typically, people always want to talk about their product. Let's say that my product is a tool that helps sales reps sell virtually through Zoom or through Microsoft Teams. And I have this great software, so I definitely want to talk about virtual selling. Well, duh, that makes sense. But do you know how many other companies are putting out research and reports about virtual selling? What's your unique angle? And that's where I start thinking. I always talk about circles and finding the sweet spot. So picture like a Venn diagram. Your first circle is your software or your service or whatever it is that you deliver, your legal services. Your second kind of circle in your Venn diagram would be industry or market trends. Could be something as niche as an industry trend. So like in my world, in your world, in marketing, AI is like all anybody's talking about, AI writing tools, chat GPT. So that could definitely be like an industry trend. Or it could be like a macro trend. You could talk about the economy and the stresses that is causing to your audience. And then the next circle in the Venn diagram would be, are we being genuinely helpful? And I don't mean just, can we give these insights that are interesting, but how can we concretely deliver a report or this research that's gonna improve our audience's life and be truly useful? And so it's finding that sweet spot and having these conversations and brainstorms until you get to that happy medium. In the second clip, Aaron talked about how to write a research report that's helpful, but that's not overly salesy. Of course, if the research report comes across as too salesy, too one-sided, it loses all credibility and doesn't help you engage and win over your target audiences. I have a good friend who research reports are the core of her business. It's really all she does. And she has a very strong stance that research reports should never be at all promotional, at all tied to your product. If anything, that's the antithesis of thought leadership, which is what you're really trying to generate with these authority and trust building reports. I'm on the other hand, so I have had a lot of success with actually writing reports that she could consider a bit too promotional. Let's say that my software has these different capabilities that a lot of my competitors lack. For example, let's say I am an ed tech software. You can use this software to build courses and certifications to educate your customers. Okay, great. So what kind of courses should I build? Here's the kind of courses that tend to lead to better business outcomes. Okay, that has nothing to do with my platform. That's not promotional. Okay, so let's ask some more questions that map a little bit more closely to the platform. Okay, so what kind of learning initiatives drive the best business results? We're talking reduced customer churn, increased revenue, et cetera. Oh, okay, so we have these formalized education initiatives and these curriculum-based education initiatives. Wouldn't you know, our platform is one of the few that allow you to build these formalized and curriculum-based learning initiatives. You can segment audiences. You can set up learning paths. We're not going to say that in the report, but we are going to use the language formalized, curriculum-based, and we're not going to talk about the platform. But we're planting that seed in people's mind. And it's not that we're like lying or planting a seed that's not true. We're actually sharing with you what the data 
found, the data found that these types of initiatives result in better business outcomes. And guess what? You're going to download that report. You're going to read it. Hey, we might email you or reach out to share a one sheet about our product. And guess what words you're going to see on there? You're going to see formalized, curriculum-based, and now it's all coming together. And that strategy has actually led to great success with certain clients. I think the trick is keeping it focused on being helpful. And that is helpful. You want to teach them what kind of initiatives they, they want to build. And then later down the road, you're going to let them know that you do have the capabilities, whether that's software or services, to help them achieve this goal. If you're interested in creating a research program for your law firm or organization, definitely check out Erin's episode. But there are two main takeaways from her episode. One, research, as I said before, is an untapped thought leadership avenue for so many firms, whether they want to focus on statistics like a direct-to-consumer DUI firm might want to talk about DUIs and the number of times those DUIs get tossed out in court, or a business-to-business firm, a corporate law firm could be talking about the number of types of cases filed or the number of kinds of actions that are taken by an administrative agency. Or you can also talk about sentiment. So maybe a business-to-business law firm, a corporate law firm, surveys 100 general counsel in the industry that they, the law firm, serves and creates a report around how general counsel and industry are feeling. So again, a great way and an untapped way for lawyers to really own a topic, own a legal issue or a business issue in the eyes of their target audiences. And the second big takeaway your research has to be legitimately educational and it has to be analytical. Don't just report what your survey said, what your research said, but explain why. What story are these results telling us and what should the audience do based on that research? Turning from research to a small law firm with a big niche blog, episode 62 featured Shane McCall. Shane is an equity partner at Co-Prince McCall Patroff, and he's the editor of the Small GovCon blog. Co-Prince McCall Patroff is a small law firm based in Lawrence, Kansas, home of the University of Kansas. And yet, they are a big player in the government contracting legal world, specifically regarding federal government contracting. Now, they're in the middle of the country, and all of the work or all of the regulations and a lot of the business regarding federal government contractors obviously happens a thousand plus miles away in Washington, D.C. And yet, through their firm's small GovCon blog, the firm is able to be a giant despite its relatively small size and its distance away from where a lot of this business goes down. In this episode, we focused on the small GovCon blog and discussed various aspects of blogging at a firm, including how blogging can make attorneys better, the direct line between content marketing, thought leadership marketing, and new client matters, the direct line, okay, direct line, the simplicity of blogging versus other forms of marketing, how to balance breaking news type blog posts with substantive blog posts, blogs as recruiting tools, and how to maximize your firm's attorney's participation in blogging when you want to take it off of one person's shoulders and you want to bring in a group to handle the responsibilities of researching and writing about various blog topics. In this first clip, Shane discusses the direct line between the blog, SmallGovCon, and new clients and how he can draw that line 
undoubtedly between the work that the firm is putting into the blog and researching and writing topics for the blog and clients coming in the door because of the blog. Definitely I would get some emails but uh, from prospective clients, but it would be when you start looking at, you know, we kind of record what the referral source was and uh, people would mention or Steve would mention a lot of those are from the blog, but then I would start uh, looking at them in our uh, kind of customer relations software and you would see it again and again. Oh, this one came from the blog. And then, yeah, we started seeing um, you get an email just directly to you. I'd say one moment that really stood out is we sometimes not, I mean, it's not that infrequent. We get an email from a government employee and they say, this blog is the, you know, a best source for, uh, news and analysis on small business federal contracting. And when you hear that from government employees, they say sometimes, yeah, we check this because there's no other place to get it from the government. So we, we want to have some clearinghouse for all that information. So that, that was a big eye-opening moment for me. It's always nice when the people who are creating the content, <laughs> creating the topics you're covering, it's full circle. They are coming back to you for analysis of those topics and developments. So it sounds like you can draw a direct line between the blog and new matters coming in the firm. Oh, definitely. Uh, new matters and new clients are coming from the blog on a, on a weekly basis. So yeah, if, if basically if you had to cut out every other marketing thing we do, we would always keep the blog going uh, because it's a really important marketing tool. And yeah, we see it. I do calls every day or every other day. And one of those calls out of every two or every three is someone that read something on the blog. In the second clip, Shane talks about the importance of consistency. And if you're going to commit to content marketing and a thought leadership marketing program like a blog, you've got to do the work day in and day out in order to build the momentum that helps you draw that direct line between your efforts and new client matters coming in the door. One thing I would say is you have to be consistent with it and you can't really take a week off, maybe a week at the most, but you can't take more than a week off um, keeping um, your content uh, out there and timely and also tr uh, trying to keep it consistent and with that same sort of voice and writing style. That's also important. Uh, the other thing I would say is I think it's an easier way to show your expertise and your skill and basically to brag about yourself. That's not something that comes easy, but doing it through a blog, you don't have to say it. You don't have to say, I'm really good at this work or I have a lot of expertise. You can demonstrate it. And I think that's that's a, a good thing to keep in mind for people that it, it's a motivating factor. Uh, and the other thing is it, it really does work. You're going to see the fruits of your labor pretty quickly, but there's a very long uh tail like as you were mentioning it works 24 7. we have certain blog posts that are years old uh five years old and it's still very popular one and we still get referral calls on it even though it's from five six seven years ago because it's uh it just caught the the algorithm the right way and it also caught the attention of a lot of readers out there so you keep working at it and it's gonna it's almost like compound interest it's gonna help immediately but it also may help way down the line. And then the last thing I guess I'd say is tie it into your other marketing efforts. That's something I'm still always reminding myself and trying to get better at tying it into social media, tying it into just reaching out directly to 
industry leaders and referral sources. Um, that's something I'd, I'd still need to improve on. We hear from people that the blog is a great resource and I'm not always reminding people or, or telling people about that, even though I, I do it when I can, but I could still do more in that respect too. So it's using that content um, and spreading the word to other people as well. Two takeaways from my conversation with Shane. First, content marketing and thought leadership marketing, they are the great equalizer. Coprince McCall Potroff has no business in Lawrence, Kansas, with a firm of three or four or five attorneys doing federal contracting work, doing a sizable amount of federal contracting work. They're not in D.C., they're not on the coast, they're not a large law firm. And yet, through the small GovCon blog, they are able to be a player on a national stage because clients, referral sources, people in the industry, regulators turn to that blog for information about federal government contracting. So no matter how small of a firm you might have, no matter where you might be located in relation to where you think all the action is regarding a particular practice area or a particular industry, content marketing and thought leadership marketing can level that playing field and put you on that field that you may not belong on paper based on the size of your firm or where you practice. Second takeaway, to treat content like it's part of your everyday job, right? Just like you were coming in and you were checking in on clients and you were doing the client work and you were maybe reading industry newspapers and other publications to stay abreast of what's happening in your clients' industries and how it could impact your clients. Just like that, part of your routine should be creating content, whether it's social media, whether it's videos, whether it's blogging, build it into your everyday efforts. It'll go down easier. It'll become a part of your life and there won't be a struggle of, gee, how can I get this going? Why aren't I seeing any results? If you do it daily or you do it multiple times a week, you build momentum and that momentum is what helps you draw that direct line between the work you're doing and the clients coming in the door. Episode 64 with Paige Sparks and Samantha Sparks was a treat. It is, as of now, the only two-guest podcast episode that we have. Paige Sparks and Samantha Sparks are sisters-in-law who own the Sparks Law Firm in St. Charles, Missouri. The firm's growth has been powered by Paige's 1.7 million followers on TikTok as of the date the episode was recorded, and Samantha's focus on operations. Paige is focused on marketing and bringing in clients and referral sources. Samantha is focused on the back end operations, helping to translate all those followers and all those inquiries into hopefully clients or referrals outbound so Paige and Samantha could build a law firm around those social media efforts. We covered a ton of ground in this, what I would consider to be a very entertaining podcast episode. Among the things we covered was the best practices for TikTok content creation, how you balance being a prolific content creator with practicing law and running a law firm, why quantity over quality, quantity over quality is the name of the game for TikTok success today, the flack that younger attorneys are likely to receive from older attorneys when they are successfully marketing themselves, the future of content marketing and thought leadership marketing, why AI won't replace lawyers who create content on social media, and funny enough, how social media popularity can affect your everyday life. In this first clip, we talk about how today and for the foreseeable future, imperfect social media content is effective social media content. Yeah, that's Paige's least favorite word is perfect content. She's always screaming at people, it's quantity over quality when it comes to social media posting. And it's 
it definitely is something we see people will set up meetings or lunches with us and say, okay, I'm ready to do it. Let's get into TikTok. Like, send me the list. And she's like, the list of what? Like, do you have an iPhone? Do you have an Android? Either way, we're good. Um, and then people just get very insecure about how you look on the screen. And it is something that's hard because as lawyers, we're supposed to be these professionals perfect old school methods on how people used to think of lawyers. And so being willing to be part of the group that's changing that is, I think, really big roadblock for a lot of people. And they end up really hurting themselves because then they just post infographics no one's going to read or just stuff that it just doesn't resonate anymore. I think that's a definitely a big issue a lot of people have, and it's just not necessary. You just need a good window and your phone, and you're good to go. We're past so the 2017 perfect Instagram phase. That's not relatable. Nobody's perfect. Nobody ever says all the right things. And actually, it helps your engagement rate when your content isn't perfect because people are going to comment to let you know you said, a, said something wrong or a typo or tell me my foundation doesn't match my neck or you name it. The more things that can be wrong with your content, invites for that engagement and a little controversy with it is okay. I'm dyslexic where I switch up words sometimes and I don't realize it later. I never delete those videos because someone's going to comment to tell me I said the wrong word. And so imperfect content is okay. It's relatable and it's going to help that viewer trust you that you're not some fake lawyer, Joe Schmo off all the commercials we see where they have some kind of slogan. You said a word wrong too. So it just makes you approachable. In the second clip, Samantha and Paige talk about the future of social media marketing for lawyers and law firms. It was a topic that Paige was very, very excited to discuss. I'm so glad you asked this question because I've been dying to tell you what I think is going to happen. I think the big law firms that don't adapt to videos are, and do that with a lawyer, for example, are going to die off because like Sam was saying, they want that parasocial relationship. And like, of course, like Morgan and Morgan's not going to go under, but they could have a figurehead where a lawyer or influencer, and I'm not saying me, but someone that will answer their questions and things right now, because right now they don't have an identity on social media. Um, and so I think it's really going to change if they don't find figure figures to do that and answer questions or things like that, because it's a totally untapped market. And we get people that'll comment and be like, I went to these big law firms and they wouldn't even talk to me or hear the case or whatever. And maybe they don't have a case, but they still feel good when they just get one email confirming that. Yeah. And I think we're seeing in the shorter term, I think there's a lot more long form that we're starting to see come up. So that's something that we're starting to adapt to more is to get the longer videos that are the 10 minutes or even the three minutes. Um, as opposed to the quick 30 second sound bites that we're doing. And I think AI is going to be very interesting because sounds like it's going to be great. We have chat GPT and all of this stuff. But then when you get into it, there's those limitations that people really want you to just care about them. AI might be great at getting all of your intake for a car accident, but they're not going to say, sorry, you can't walk or, oh, that's really unfortunate. Your kid got hurt. And so it's going to be very interesting finding the balance between staying personal and keeping that parasocial relationship up and also adapting with the times and not being the only people in the world who are still doing it.
ourselves instead of with the robot. There's a whole bunch of takeaways from my conversation with Paige and Samantha. Unfortunately, I had to bring it down to just two. The first takeaway is that yes, you can build a firm off of social media. Yes, you can build a firm off of your content marketing and thought leadership marketing efforts. Time and again, throughout the Legally Contented podcast interviews that you have hopefully heard because you are hopefully a subscriber to the podcast, you've heard attorneys who have explained how their content marketing and thought leadership marketing efforts can help them build and have helped them build a practice, build a law firm. Paige and Samantha are no different. Again, 1.7 million TikTok followers. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of eyeballs and a lot of people who are tuning in to see what Paige has to say on TikTok. It is, again, another lesson that you can create content that brings in clients. Just like Shane McCall, if you're committed to it, you will eventually be able to draw a direct line. It'll take some time, but you can draw a direct line between the work you're doing in terms of your content creation and your marketing efforts and new client matters coming in the door. The second takeaway from my conversation with Paige and Samantha is to not overthink things with your content creation efforts, especially your social media efforts. As Paige and Samantha made clear, you don't need a ton of equipment, you don't need a script, you don't need a teleprompter, just do your thing. Just be yourself, be authentic, and talk to your audience. You could do it the way Paige does it, such as having day-in-the-life videos, or if you wear makeup, you could put on your makeup as you talk about legal issues or business issues. The point is that people want to see the real you. They don't want the super glossy, super fake, professionally produced content. They want to see you be you, and you show off what you know to them. They want to learn from you. They want to be educated and entertained by you. So think about that. Don't spend a ton of time worrying about the perfect background or the perfect outfit you're gonna wear for a video. Instead, think about the topics that will resonate with your clients and think about the substance that you will create, the substance that you'll discuss regarding those topics that will be relevant, valuable, and compelling to them. Next up is episode 66 with Megan Braverman. Megan is the principal and owner of the Los Angeles-based Burbank Marketing and Public Relations firm. Megan works with law firms, real estate firms, financial services firms, on media relations, thought leadership, content creation. So I thought it'd be great to have her on to discuss the role of public relations in a thought leadership program, the intersection between content marketing and thought leadership marketing and media relations, and to get a sense of where thought leadership and content marketing can play into a larger PR program, the role thought leadership and content marketing play in a larger PR program that can be used to help boost the awareness of law firms and attorneys at the firm. In the episode, Megan and I discussed a bunch of things like the state of the media and media relations today, how lawyers can become sought after by reporters, why lawyers shouldn't worry about giving away their secret sauce when they're talking to the media, how imposter syndrome can affect a lawyer's ability to speak to the media or write thought leadership, which was a real interesting take that I hadn't thought of before that Megan raised. And finally, how public relations can be not just a marketing tool, but also a culture building and recruiting tool. In this first clip, Megan talks about the process for securing media coverage for lawyers in law firms today. There's a couple ways that we go about obtaining media coverage for our clients. I mentioned a lot of law firm clients, they come to us and they're like, we want to tout our successes. That's great, but that's sometimes few and far between. If we only relied on touting client successes, we might do a couple pitches a year, if that, or a couple press releases a year. It's not enough. So the big piece of what we're doing is inserting 
lawyer's name into the news stream, right? This is really coming down to being an advocate for yourself, pursuing media opportunities. Don't wait for them to come to the door. Your competitor isn't hesitating to pursue them. So the way that we do this is like the lawyer, they have a lot of brain power, right? There's a lot in there. And if they looked around their desk, what they're working on, what they're reading, what they're researching, maybe what they're communicating, it may seem like the day-to-day stuff to them, but there are nuggets of information that we can use. Media is looking for trends. They're looking for forecasts, industry insights. And so we help pick those ideas that we can package to reporters that position you as an expert. It could be talking about a specific uptick you're seeing. I've been seeing more of these. Or a lot of clients have been asking me this specific question. I hadn't heard that question for the last five years. These are little esoteric things. These aren't earth shattering. Sometimes people think, well, it's got to be new litigation or a big Supreme Court decision for me to comment on anything. So that's a big way is how do we find some of the things that are changing in your world package those so that they interest the reporters and the reporters readers. And that's really important, right? Because you've got to talk to the reporters readers because the reporter, the editor, they're thinking about who is reading their publication. They're also worried about clicks, right? So that's their mindset. They're like, why does this matter to the people who read our publication or watch our news broadcast? In the second clip, Megan talks about the path attorneys can take to go from a media zero to a media hero? Yeah, so hire a PR agency. (laughs) It goes back to being an advocate for yourself and not waiting around for the media opportunities to knock on your door. When we work with someone who has never had any media experience, never done anything, it's a lot of education, right? It's talking about the process of media, how we work, because a lot of times what happens is for someone that has never had experience with the media, the first thing that they say is, I don't have anything interesting to talk about. And that's just not true. I've been doing this for a long time. I would say 98% of the people I speak to have something interesting to talk about. It's just that they haven't really identified it yet. There are some people who are great at coming to the table with ideas. We really help not only probe that person with questions and things that get them thinking, but there's a lot of research behind, right? We want to see like, What's been out there in this practice? What are the publications that this person might want to target? Or what do we recommend? And what are those publications writing about? Sometimes it's also doing some reverse engineering business development things. Like, for example, let's say you're talking to a prospect and you really want to get in front of them. And, okay, let's identify some of the issues that prospect is facing and let's try to write on it in the media, right? Or get interviewed on it. And then you can send that prospect and say, hey, thought this might interest you. I know you're facing this exact same thing. So sometimes it's just finding things like that. When I say hire an agency, it's really because for the people who don't think that they have anything interesting, they really need that third party to be able to look at their space and be able to cherry pick some interesting things. Not everything is newsworthy. Not everything is going to get you 15 opportunities. Sometimes it's like, well, we're going to take this topic and we'll get one opportunity from it. We'll take this and we'll get three. Two takeaways from my conversation with Megan. They're pretty straightforward, but they bear repeating. First takeaway is that even today, media relations can still play an important role in building thought leadership and building up the authority of lawyers and their firms. Even though we keep hearing about news outlets closing or newsrooms shrinking, there is a role 
for media relations to play at law firms of all sizes, of all types, of all practices, if you know how to play the game and you know how to tell the kinds of stories that the media can't resist and that they want to hear more of. The second takeaway is the role that public relations can play at a law firm and any other company, really, beyond that of a marketing tool or a business development tool. It can be a recruiting tool. It can be a culture building tool when it helps show the outside world that a law firm is a leader in its space. That's great for recruiting and the media relations helps back that up, whether the media relations and whether the articles are about the substance of the law that the firm is practicing and its wins and or its thought leadership, or if the PR is featuring the culture of a law firm and the articles are about how a law firm does its culture differently than other law firms or how it's handling some aspect of hiring or office space or working from home. There are opportunities for law firms to use PR as a recruiting tool, as a culture building tool that can help separate it from the pack and its peer firms and hopefully make a good impression on current attorneys and staff and future attorneys and staff. Finally, episode 68 with Steve Fretzen. Steve is widely known as one of the premier marketing and business development coaches for attorneys. He's been doing this for about two decades and he is not only busy with his client work, but he is a prolific content creator. He has a podcast that just crossed 300 episodes that publishes two episodes a week. He's published four books, and he's also written his monthly Chicago Daily Law Bulletin article since 2015. He is creating a lot of content. If an attorney did one of those three things, I would have them on this podcast to pick their brain and hear more about how they go about this process. But Steve has all three of these things going on while having a business where he is working with clients. So obviously, as you can imagine, in our conversation, we talked about how he is able to be such a prolific content creator. Among the things we discussed were the relationship between marketing and business development, the process Steve followed for writing his four books, including his first book, which was a parable, the decision whether to self-publish a book or enlist a publisher, we talked about what your content should do instead of giving the 20,000 foot view of a topic. We talked about why podcasting is especially effective for lawyers and other professional services providers. We talked about what being a prolific content creator has done for Steve's business. And we talked about the process for determining which marketing and business development tactics a lawyer should pursue. In this first clip, Steve talks about how to climb the marketing and business development mountain it's better for me to not explain it and just go right into the clip so you could get an understanding of exactly what I'm talking about. I'm using it for marketing and business development. And so those kinds, those, you know, in just in, in tons and tons of presentations, Wayne, like, I mean, I'm networking groups. I mean, it's, it's a combination of, of business development and marketing. And the way that I look at this is I'm climbing a mountain and I'm going to climb it on two sides of the mountain at the same time. I'm going to climb the business development side and I'm going to climb the marketing side. And if I do them both well, there's a good chance I'm going to meet at the peak with myself. And uh, in this in this weird weird story, I make it up. But ultimately, that's where I think people need to, to be in order to, because you could just do business development or just do marketing and you could have some good success doing either. But when you slap them together... You've got relationships and, and networking and all this great stuff that's going on and then support it with all of the social media and podcasts, books, articles, everything that's going on over here. It's really a fantastic recipe for success. I mean, you're going to win the blue ribbon at the, you know, on the, for the chili at the, at the state fair. We'll have to try that chili. <laughs> it's good uh, chili. Told you it was best off just to hear that clip instead of me describing it. <laughs> 
In the second clip, Steve talks about the process lawyers should use to decide which marketing and business development tasks they should spend time on, whether that's speaking engagements, articles, social media, etc. It, it, it's more about what's their, what's their why. That's a very marketing thing to say, but like, what's their why? Like, why are they doing what they're doing? What have they done before? What do they enjoy or hate? Right? So if they hate LinkedIn and I can't break through that barrier or talk them around it, well, then we're not going to do LinkedIn. I think it's a mistake, but we're not going to do LinkedIn. I'm not going to break someone's legs because they're not going to do LinkedIn. But if somebody loves writing and let's say their writing is just sitting on their blog, it's not doing anything. It's not being seen. It's like a, a ghost, you know, behind a, you know, behind a door. Um, that's bad. So like, Hey, can we get you published? Let's figure out where your audience is and let's go after it that way. So I think it's like, what's the low hanging fruit? Where's your audience? Who can buy from you? What gives you the biggest reach? And let's go after that. And worst case scenario, if there is nobody that you're just going to write for yourself, then let's repurpose that article can turn into a video. The article can be, that can be broken into five social media posts because it's an article with, with five bullet points. And each one of those can be a social media post. Like we can figure out how to go, um, but we just need to go. And so we want to plan and we want to execute. And nice thing about having a coach is that there's accountability. It's not, you know, here's what you're going to do and good luck to you. And I hope that all works out. I mean, we're meeting every single week, every single month, talking about what happened, what didn't happen, why didn't it happen? What do we have to do to make it happen? Do you need some help? You know, who can we get to help you? Whatever it might be. Do we need to bring in an expert, Wayne? Do we need to bring in, you know, uh, you know, someone from your team? You know, do you need me to review it? You know, do you want to meet up, you know, to help you post it? I mean, I don't know. Like that's, it's just, we just have to get it done and we have to start getting into better marketing habits. And once we get into better marketing habits, I'm posting once a week, then I'm posting twice a week, now three times a week. And that happens over a course of maybe six months. Now you've got the habit. Now you actually have a social media calendar. Oh, wow. Now you've actually got someone helping you to post. So it's not, you're creating the content, let someone else post it for you. Now you've got a VA. All these things add up to success in time management and marketing and branding and everything that goes with it. Two takeaways from my conversation with Steve. First, it is possible to be a prolific content creator. It is easier to be prolific when you get help, whether that's editing a podcast, whether that's helping you get your books published in terms of laying it out, designing the cover art, getting it listed with a publisher or with Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. But you can be prolific and there are benefits to being prolific. You don't just have to do one thing occasionally, a monthly article or a monthly podcast or a once every five years book, you can create content on a rolling basis, be prolific, and still balance that with your everyday work duties and presumably your everyday life duties. The second takeaway from my conversation with Steve is that you should be cognizant of how your content is both a marketing and a business development tool. On one hand, as a marketing tool, your content, your thought leadership content can speak to broad audiences, can speak to many people at once when they're reading your article in a publication or they're seeing your social media posts as they scroll or they're reading your book. But it could also be a very focused business development tool when you take your content regarding a particular issue 
and give it to a prospect, give it to a current client and say, you just mentioned you're dealing with this issue. We just wrote about this topic last week, or you mentioned you're dealing with this issue. Last year, we covered this in a podcast series. Check it out. I think it's going to really help you gain an understanding of your options. Obviously, when you do that in the business development context of a prospective client or trying to grow your business with a current client, how can they not be impressed? How can they not think that you are the answer to the problems when you give them content regarding the questions, the topics they just discussed with you a moment or two ago. With that, we round out another lowdown episode. I'd encourage you to download the full versions of the episodes I covered on this podcast if you want to hear more about what my guests said or the advice or insights that they provided. We'd appreciate your feedback and your reviews. We'd appreciate your suggestions for guests for future episodes of Legally Contented. You can email us at hello at legallycontented.com, hello at legallycontented.com. Please leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for tuning in. I look forward to talking to you again on a future episode of Legally Contented.